You're listening to Soul Stream. We're in pre-stream right now. Good to see you guys. I'm your host, John Almada. We're just sitting here getting ready for our Titanic show. I'm uh, looking like uh, things are streaming well, looking at the board here. Got my producer out there. I hope she's hearing me. We always like to do this before the show, so everybody knows the stream is good. Anyway, I decided to mix it up and add a little bit of sounds of water on the ocean as a boat goes through. Kind of appropriate for tonight. <laughs> uh, my producer's making me laugh. Let me know you can hear me out there and uh, that we're good to go. Anyway, I show the stream running. Everything looks good. I hope she can hear me. I see typing going on. Uh, I should be broadcasting. Hi, Mike. I see you there. Can you hear me, Mike? I hope I am broadcasting. I'm going to look and see if we are getting... There be sound. Good. That's what I was looking for. I see Mr. Mike out there. Good to see you, Mr. Yakovich. We've got uh, good special family has my sound. My producer is there. Hello, Debbie. Good to see you. As for rain up here, yes, it was cloudy all day. We had some rain this morning. Uh, kind of freed me up to go get some things done I needed to. Uh, instead of watering the place, it got watered for me. And um, tomorrow I'm going to be working in the garden doing some stuff. Anyway, we got about three minutes to show. Uh, if you got to go get some coffee or go take care of the biological needs, you know what I mean. Go get those done. We're going to be having a fun hour. No interview tonight. It's just me, myself, and I flying the show. But uh, upcoming very soon in June, we will have some interesting guests on. But uh, tonight it's me and the Titanic. All three of us, that's right. Yes, the multiple personalities always help with me. Two minutes. I love the sound of that water. That's pretty good. It is quiet up here. I partied with me, myself, and I back in the day. <laughs> sure thing, Mike. I've been down that road. Anyway, we're going to be talking about all kinds of stuff. I've got some news items that we're going to be covering uh, once we get the official show going here. we got a little over a minute 15 to the start of the show. For all those lurkers out there, Hello to my podcast listeners who will be hearing this after the fact. Uh, greetings to you wherever you may be out there. Yes, I crack myself up too. 
right now I need my back cracked. It's uh, definitely got a few things that need to be pulled apart to make them into place. You know what I mean? Okay, 45 seconds or so. Um, actually, 30 seconds. All right, we're going to go uh, radio silence, and we'll start the show here really quickly, guys. 30 seconds. Stand by. Listening to Soul Stream coming to you live from the mighty Sierra Nevada range in Northern California. I am your host, John Almada, with the freshly clipped hair. Lots shorter for the summer. It's good to be here. We are going to be talking all about the Titanic today. I kind of meant to do this show uh, last month when it was all uh, all the rage, but uh, it somehow got away from me and. Um, I was casting about looking for a good show to talk about, a good subject for the show, and uh, wow, uh, that kind of hit me from uh, an unexpected place, and I took the advice, and here we are. I've got a barrel full of ghosts to talk about with you guys. We've got some other subjects to cover at the beginning of the show. Let's go ahead and bring the sound out. I see Rooster Jerky is here. Hello, Ryan. Good to see you. Hope that antenna worked out for you. He came to me on Facebook looking for advice on his antenna. And since I'm a ham radio operator, call sign KK6IQK. I uh, have been at this a while, and I thought it would be a cool thing to help the guy out. So I hope he took some of the advice and put especially a grounding rod in. Yes, I am a ham. Just as you are... Debbie, you are also a general class ham. That's right. She's KK6IQL. We took the test together the same day because we were studying together and helping each other get our licenses. It was great. <laughs> we scored exactly the same, 94% on the test too. <laughs> yeah, I got to get my antenna back up. It's, uh, it's, it needs to be uh, stood up. It was winterized. and uh, uh, Yeah, you were the only woman there. Uh, a YL is a rare thing to see as a ham. We won't, for those of you who know as ham radio operators, you know what I'm talking about, a YL. And if you don't know what that is, go look it up on Google. You'll figure that out real quick. Anyway, um, we are going to be talking about the Titanic today. And uh, before I get into that, though, let's cover some of the basic news. Um, I am uh, bringing up here... Although I won't play the audio track just for reasons uh, of brevity, uh, it you can see some of the video, and I think in the show links I've already got this out there. If not, uh, I will update those. But the show links page is uh, full of good stuff. Uh, 
with all the links for tonight, and uh, I may add a couple of little things for tomorrow. So we'll just do that. Uh, I always get to it. Sometimes I'm a little late, but I always get to it. Yes, we're going to be talking about Voyager for the moment. And uh, the Voyager 1 probe uh, that is now actually out in, in interstellar space as of uh, 2012, I think it was August of 2012, it crossed over into true interstellar space. Um, there's been some weird things going on with it. And it turns out that uh, it doesn't know where it's at in space. The readings that are coming in are uh, from a, a unit that uh, helps position the uh, spacecraft to uh, speak with Earth. And even though it is having these strange readings, it is still locked onto Earth. And none of the people at JPL in Pasadena are aware of what is actually going on uh, with the spacecraft and why. So we may be into something new that is uh, going on with the physics out there in interstellar space that uh, maybe people have not seen before. And uh, finding out uh, that there are other factors in space travel that we may not have accounted for, which is always the case with new environments that we get into. So I like seeing this kind of thing because science likes to think it knows everything and then it gets very humbled very quickly uh, by the actual truth of the universe and they find themselves in a world of hurt. So uh, yes, they're right now um, the spacecraft is, is alive. It's, it's uh, responding to commands from Earth. It's doing what it's supposed to do, except it's not telling them the right data about where it is. And so it's, um, it's proving to be uh, a bit of a thing that uh, needs explanation, and I think it's going to be something in the long term that goes on. Uh, I will be uh, next week talking about the, uh, the newer the newer telescope, my goodness, my brain just kind of took a, a dive there. I can't remember the name. Uh, it's not the New Horizons. It's the new telescope. The James Webb Telescope. That's it. Brain dead. The James Webb Telescope is uh, fully deployed. Uh, yes, we will be assimilated. Yeah, they've been assimilated into the Delta Quadrant. That's what happened to V'ger. It's going to come back, and Kirk's going to have to talk to it. Um, but, yeah, the, uh, the James Webb Scope is getting ready to... Uh, conduct, I think, official operations very soon, if not already. Uh, there have been some photographs that have been released, and it's already surpassed uh, Hubble in its ability to resolve uh, distant galaxies that far more effectively than even Hubble. And uh, it's really cool that we still have Hubble around, and now we have this other newer telescope, and we're going to have... Uh, some really interesting capabilities because Hubble is primarily a visual scope. And uh, of course, uh, James Webb is infrared, which can penetrate dust and see a lot farther. So uh, yeah, we're going to learn more about the creation of the universe, where it all comes from, and maybe answer some really interesting cosmological questions. Um, I will talk to a little bit about dark matter next week. Uh, I've been writing a book in case you guys haven't, uh, if you haven't heard, I'm uh, writing a book about EVP and paranormal phenomena, but I touched on in the book uh, dark matter and thought I had had an original thought, and I found out just this morning that my supposition was not at all original and that uh, dark matter could be uh, 
related to things in the paranormal. Ooh, I, I'm hooking you guys on this one. So, yeah, let's look into that uh, next week. I will. I promise we will talk about that. Anyway, I'm going to stop this, and uh, we are going to look at this news story. I'm not going to play the audio, but uh, we'll. This pastor in his house, if you can see this, um, this thing is playing, and you can see this ring. And this guy is completely freaked out. He is He's a religious figure, a police pastor. And this thing is floating around his room, and he's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it looks to me like the, the, the ring that you see always around um, uh, Christian art um, with the ring around uh, you know, various uh, religious figures' heads. And here, I mean, it's even splitting apart. This thing ran for like 10 minutes, and I think he's had a number of these phenomena that he's captured, uh, you know, at his house uh, with this camera. So there's some really interesting, yeah, Halo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you on the book there, Special Family. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, the book is uh, uh, at the point where I'm, by Monday, I'm going to be ready to convert for Kindle and uh, start formatting it and then add the uh, artwork and the pictures, and then it should go live Sometime in June, I'm hoping to have the book out. And uh, it's a practical book of EVP for the everyday person. Um, and it'll be something. Now, she, you know, I'm looking at this. She's got that mask on. I'm sorry to diverge from that. She's got that mask on. And the, U, the UV kills kills that thing that everybody's talking about in 30 seconds <laughs> just i'm just kind of funny that way i happen to know a thing or two about this anyway uh uh yeah this thing with um this thing with uh our spacecraft though that really got my attention today i thought that was strange uh thought i'd uh bring this up here for a laugh um i don't know about you guys but uh I used to love bugles, but not anymore. <laughs> I thought I would do that. I've got the actual bugles. Let me see here. Here we go. Yeah, I've got the bugle. And there you go. The Enterprise is facing it. <laughs> so, uh, And they taste good. Yeah, it's made of pure neutronium. Absolutely pure. This is so good. Anyway, I'm sorry. I had to do that. Uh, we saw that meme, and um, Debbie Debbie wanted me to, to bring it up on the air, so I said, sure, why not? I mean, I'm easy going. Anyway, we're going to talk about, let's get into our friends with, uh, or not our friends, but our ghosts. That would be the word. Oh, they could be our friends. Uh, our ghosts of the Titanic. And... Um, I'm kind of not sure where to dive in with this, so I'm just going to pick one of these tabs. And uh, tonight's just kind of going through these different stories. Um, I think I'm going to go with the um, the one with the uh, EVP research team, since we were talking EVP. Um, and on the show page, of course, that link is there. And it was uh, this story was archived from a news 
news story. I'm trying to find it. I thought I already pulled it up. I am looking for it. Yeah, here we go. I had that. Uh, now it comes up when I do that. Um, this story came out back in 2010. And uh, for those of you who don't know about you know the Titanic, which I think no, almost everyone does, but you know Titanic uh, about 110 years ago uh, sank um, about 300 miles away from Newfoundland, Newfoundland, and uh, it was it sank in roughly two miles, two and a half miles of water, and um, after colliding, you know, theoretically colliding with a iceberg, and um, and I say theoretically because there's a lot of strange circumstances that go around the the, uh, the sinking that we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, but uh, it was um, it was one of those things that starts off small and turns into something huge that affects the whole world. And I guarantee you, there is not a single life on this planet that has not been touched as a result of this. And as as of tonight's show, we'll show you why, which a lot of people don't know the reasons why they. Uh, may know the story in general in passing, but we're going to kind of walk you through it. And uh, all these links are there for you to explore on your own. And you can take it as far as you want and make your own determinations. But uh, but this one caught my attention. We'll start off with this. This guy, uh, William Brower of Coral Springs, I think this is in Florida, uh, who is an educated, uh, self-educated expert on Titanic, uh, is also a paranormal investigator, and uh, this was back in November 8th of 2010. And uh, he got together with about 20 other investigators, and they were going to try to mount an expedition in the spring of, uh, I think, 2011 to go out where the uh, Titanic was and lower hydrophones. And uh, the idea was to um, record at the surface and where the... Uh, at the exact spot where the ship went down and also at the uh, bottom, you know, roughly two and a half miles down, they would have these uh, specially designed uh, hydrophones that could stand up to the pressure. And not only that, record the voices that uh, theoretically would be there. And I have done on my own site a small paper on underwater EVP, and they are possible. They have been captured. And uh, I would say to you that um, this is an awfully good idea. The problem is that there were a lot of people, evidently, that got very upset about the notion of doing this. And yet there have been uh, countless reports by ships that pass by uh, the site of Titanic's uh, demise who have reported all kinds of strange and anomalous phenomena. And we're going to get into that a little later. So it's kind of natural that it would attract attention from paranormal teams. And I think if you go about this in the right way and sensitively uh, and not use it as an opportunity to gain a lot of uh, notoriety, uh, you do it for uh, good research reasons, I think that it could be a valuable window into the past. Uh, a lot of EVP can be uh, recorded of things that have actually been uh playback memory if there's a lot of emotion or a lot of uh, uh, 
high uh, tragedy in a particular area, these things can actually uh, be embedded in the environment and they will play back. Uh, sometimes uh, on anniversary dates, like April 15th, you know, of uh, 1912 when this happened, at uh, 2 in the morning when the ship finally sank and all those people uh, passed away, and 700 and some odd were uh, rescued, um, it, it just leaves this mark, this psychic mark. And uh, so I really, uh, I really think that this is a valid idea. And um, I myself was talking with uh, Debbie uh, some months ago about Titanic, and I found some, uh, and I'm just going to throw this out there because I, you know I don't want to be the only one to be thinking about it. But I found some underwater footage with audio that could be a good raw source of ready-made information to uh, go through, ready-made recordings to go through and see if you can capture these things. Um, could you admit it as you know actual EVP gathered from? that site probably yes probably no it's kind of in the middle uh because i mean who knows what these recordings went through to get to you to get to youtube where i found them but uh but i do think that there's something valuable to be learned from this so definitely give this guy this this guy's article a look here um it is uh interesting what he was planning uh i think probably in terms of the way he was going about it, I think, could use some adjustment, but I think that there's something there. So, um, yes, yeah, so I'm gonna I beat that to death. But um, let's take a look. I've got some of these here. We've got some other haunted things. Uh, we're gonna cover J.P. Morgan here. I've got that one up, and we're gonna talk about what we think might have happened. This I thought was interesting. Imagine this. Submit, you know, I'm going to do my best voice. Submitted for your approval. Uh, you know what I'm getting at there. Um, this gentleman put literally tens of thousands of hours into a nine-foot model of Titanic that's accurate uh, at scale in just about every manner, including uh, scale-sized uh, tiny people for the decks. And uh, this story came out in uh, 2012. And I don't know if he still has it. I don't know if the gentleman's still alive. Um, but he had uh, tried to charge like, like $250,000 or something. Yeah, the Soul Stream Zone. <laughs> anyway, he tried to charge all this money for this uh, model. Uh, but something happened. Uh, and I'm just going to kind of go through and read a little bit. Uh, he began hearing strange noises near the ship after he had basically completed it. And it sits in his living room. You can see the image and it sits in his living room and he begins hearing this strange noises in the model. And, uh, there's something to be said about, um, for those of you who, uh, maybe follow a little bit of, uh, paranormal phenomena. Um, I'm no expert on voodoo or anything like that, but, uh, you know, the notion of using a, a model of a person to affect them, you know, sticking a pin in them and that kind of thing. Uh, that also applies to things like models of actual objects that have high emotion to them, like what happened with Titanic. 
And so this guy built such a perfect model of this that he bonded with this thing. I, my personal feeling is he formed a connection with this through all of that work and uh, sort of invited these spirits in. And uh, it really was something to see because he started looking at uh, getting a real good look at the ship and he ended up taking some pictures and he says he found a bald-headed man in a photo he took with a handlebar mustache. And there was a woman in there, too. And uh, he got the images. And now I'm going to show you this. There they are. Now, you guys have got the link. So I'm going to throw that at you to uh, take a look at and see what you think of this. Um, I think that there... He would have known if he had put people in there. But the, the look on that face with the mustache and that kind of thing. It's spooky. And I, you know, the only thing that I really would like to see is, is a before and after with this. I don't know if somebody was, uh, you know, if he was pulling their leg or not, uh, I'm not going to, uh, pass judgment here, but it would help if we had a before and after shot of this. Uh, but I thought it was a really cool story I, in the research for this show tonight. I just happened across this and I went, I have got to put this on. It's, uh, yeah, the Monopoly man. <laughs> I'm the Monopoly man. Yeah, here, have a bugle. Um, but I, I really think that there's something there uh, to be looked at. And then he claimed that there was this woman uh, picked up in it. And uh, he, he, got, he says he got so engrossed in it, he didn't realize the time that went by. It took nine years, one week, five days to finish it. And it's perfect in every detail with the... Uh, the engineering that went into it. This guy had, uh, I guess, some engineering skills. But you can see the uh, the level of detail he did. And uh, some of these model makers, they really get into their work. Yeah, he wanted to sell it uh, in 2008 for $263,000. But uh, I don't know whatever happened to it. You know, it's all these years later. Uh, but I don't think he's going to get that kind of money for it. But he did say at the end of the article he wanted to put it in a museum. And I did not find any other, um, any other news about that. So it's hard to say. If anybody does come across that, uh, let me know, and I'll throw that into a future show. But very interesting stuff. And uh, I still think that, that these images, if I could get a... Yeah, I may try to find him. If he's still alive, I'll ask him to send me some pictures if I could find this gentleman. It looks like a fairly straightforward thing. I've got the links, so who knows? We'll see if we can get him to uh, do that. But I do think a psychic bond was created. Now, there it is right there. He's got the image. They're standing next to each other, and he's got the camera kind of turned here, but there they are in the magnifying glass looking in at that. And... Uh, I just, I just think that's the weirdest thing. <laughs> I have never seen anything like that. Um, why don't we take a look at the images? Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, when the ship went down, one of the first things that happened was uh, as it filled up with uh, water from the watertight compartment to watertight compartment, because there, when the ship actually, quote, hit the iceberg, it did not rip out big chunks of the hull. It actually created six long gashes. And this was confirmed back in, I think, 2005 with uh, 
uh, specialized uh, sensing gear that could actually look through the mud and uh, image the side of the ship. And they found that it was exactly as uh, one gentleman who testified in the uh, original Board of Inquiry on Titanic uh, as he had suspected it would be. And uh, he was roundly ignored. Everybody th- uh, thought they knew better. And uh, this is the, the problem with making suppositions without, uh, you know, or coming to determinations about cases without um, really listening to the experts. Uh, you know, it was kind of one of those things driven by the press of the time. If you go back and look at the, uh, the newspapers, which I did, uh, the speculation was absolutely wild. And uh, the modern-day equivalent of that, of course, would be 9-11 uh, with all the things that happened and uh, the things that we now find are subsequently uh, not at all true of what happened on 9-11. Uh, I won't go into that in any detail, but um, you can figure that out for yourself, kind of where I'm going with that. But anyway, uh, this ship broke apart on the surface. Uh, there was even di- disagreement with that, with the officers saying it went down whole and uh, it was actually the passengers who were right, who testified and said the ship split in two. And split in two it did. And uh, the front half went down and literally planed down in an aerodynamic or hydrodynamic fashion. Flew down and you can see what it did. It hit at roughly, uh, roughly about 30 miles an hour. 30 to 45 miles an hour was the re- uh, measurement I heard in this discussion. But there it is. I mean, it's uh, in pieces. The, the rear of the ship was in much poorer condition. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, but we'll get to the ghosts here really quick. I just wanted you to see, you know, get a real good look at this and pull it up on your men- your browsers from the show links. And, uh, I mean, here are some of the things. She wasn't equipped to save all the passengers. The lifeboat situation was atrocious. One thing I did not know was that uh, Captain Smith had not uh, ordered a uh, lifeboat drill on Sundays like he was supposed to. Uh, he did not follow that. And had they had that drill, I think that a lot of other people would have gotten out of it alive. But he chose not to do the drill. And uh, the owner of the line, White Star Line, uh, Ismay, uh, pressed on Captain Smith to actually uh, push the ship at full steam ahead with the engines being uh, not ready to break in. You know, they needed to be broke in. Uh, That's if you believe that the ship that sank was actually the Titanic. We're going to kind of throw that one at you too. So we're going to throw a lot of things at you and kind of upset your view. And that's the point here is to get you thinking and start to look for yourself. Um. Some of you know about the book that was uh, published called uh, Futility or The Titan. It also had another term, uh, another title, The Titan, which you can actually get that book for free, I think, on um, archive.org. You can go look for that. It was written uh, by an author named Morgan Robbins. Here, let me say that again. Morgan Robin. I can't say that today. Morgan Robertson. There we go. Uh about a fictional ship called the Titan and that there were, um, uh, there were so many similarities to this that it, it was, uh, uh, 
brought up in the press uh, repeatedly and people began to to just be blown away by this prediction that this author had. Uh, I have a theory on this as to why this was so uh, closely related to Titanic and uh, what ended up happening to the ship. Uh, so we'll, we'll visit that. Uh, some people did not believe Titanic was unsinkable, including this guy here. Uh, what was his name? Um, Charles Melville Hayes predicted a uh, disaster might occur to the ship, uh, despite the fact everybody uh, that was that had an opinion was believing the ship was unsinkable. Um, he had a lot of experience with uh, with transportation systems and that kind of thing, and uh, as dealing with railways. And he didn't believe the uh, hype. Unfortunately, he was on the ship when it went down, and he perished with the ship. <laughs> so uh, I feel sorry for that gentleman. Um, we all know, many of you know about the uh, reason for the finding of the ship. Uh, it was found because of a uh, combination uh, Amer- American and French joint expedition. Uh, Robert Ballard was uh, they're kind of they're leading here with the French being the, the the people behind it, but it really was Robert Ballard who went to the U.S. Navy and uh, uh, tried to sell them on finding Titanic, and so the price the U.S. Navy charged for Ballard to find Titanic was to first find and photograph the uh, wreck of the USS Scorpion, which was a uh, a uh, an attack sub, I believe it was, in the 1960s that sank uh, under very mysterious circumstances. And uh, he did find the, he did find it. They took images, and it was determined to be an accident. There was some th- uh, thought that the Soviets might have shot, shot the uh, used torpedoes against the ship, the uh, sub, and uh, taken it out. But uh, it appeared to be something to do with a malfunctioning torpedo. And so Ballard... As soon as he was done with his work documenting that, the uh, Navy agreed to fund the expedition, and they carried on uh, going down to uh, f- look in the area of uh, where they thought the ship would be, and sure enough, they found it. And so, yeah, you know, the whole story of Titanic uh, being found, everybody thought it was, oh, it was just this expedition that they went looking for. No, 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 no. It was a, you know, the U.S. government had a price that they wanted to be paid for this. And I thought that was interesting. It only came out many years later that what the real circumstances behind this were. And go U.S. Navy for that. I think that was actually kind of cool of them. They, they got what they wanted, and uh, they got something, and Ballard got something. So uh, he found it very qu- shortly before he was uh, confirmed to, to uh, have to come home with the ship, and the Navy funding would run out. And uh, he got lucky. They found it. Um. The ship is in dire danger of uh, being completely gone by 2030. So we're looking at uh, maybe eight years, maybe possibly uh, maybe 2040. Uh, but the structure that you and I know now will no longer be there because the uh, rust process and the biological attacks going on by uh, rust-eating bacteria are so um, active that with over a hundred years of this going on, it's actually in an accelerating phase. And now the ship is going to literally dissolve. And, uh, there are those who have, uh, 
opinions about this as a grave site. And I believe that leaving the shoes, which are the only uh, remaining parts of the uh, people that uh, died on the surface and then they rained down, literally they rained down. And this is some of the paranormal stuff we're going to get into. They, their bodies rained down to the ocean and it took about uh, probably anywhere from a matter of weeks for them to be scattered because the sea creatures consumed them and then the bones were gone within five years because the ocean just takes away all that calcium and just it just disappears into the ocean. It just becomes part of the, uh, the cycle of life. And so the only thing left are their personal possessions, their clothing, their, their shoes especially. And that was one of the things that really got to Ballard and, and, and all of the people who've gone down. Only 200 people in all the world have been downed or down to Titanic. You know, so think about that. Uh, comparatively few people have been there to see this. And uh, everyone who come, sees it comes back a changed person. It's, uh, it's very sobering. But I do think that uh, going in to get things like the radio... There's been some uh, talk about going after the radio as a ham radio operator. Uh, I think getting that wireless set, the components uh, brought to the surface, uh, is an imperative. It's, it's a piece of history, and it's a piece of radio history. It deserves to be brought back and restored, and for us to have the actual you know, wireless key set and all the electronics that we can get and refurb them and actually bring Titanic's radio station back to life, which is totally doable. We have the technology, and uh, it has been approved as a mission, but that Ovid thing got in the way back in 2020, and um, so that expedition is just kind of waiting to happen, and I hope to see it happen. Uh, there's the lifeboat drill I was talking about. Here's the few hundred, two, the 200 people. There's the uh, examples of the wreck. Yeah, what's going on there? So... Um, and the final, the final thing is preserving it's impossible. Uh, preserving what's, what is there is practically impossible. There's just really no way other than to grab what we can. And uh, we'll see that. Well, thank you. Thank you, my... Uh, thank you, Debbie. Appreciate that. She just let me know. We got six listeners out there. Good to see you all. Anyway, but uh, let's just move on to the ghost. That's why you're here, right? Anyway, some really interesting stuff um i touched on the whole notion of the the paranormal phenomena on the surface at the where the ship actually went down and what has happened multiple reports um i'm still trying to find specific ships specific dates that kind of thing and i really wasn't able to do that in the short time i had to plan the show but there have been seen orbs flying about on the surface of the ocean with ships that have gone by and people looking and going, what in the heck is that? And then they realize they're near the site. And what's very interesting is not too far west of Titanic, if you uh, kind of draw a rough line straight west towards Newfoundland and out towards Canada there, you end up at Oak Island. And, uh, Oak Island was discovered by the very same type of orbs being seen by some kids as it was, uh, these orbs were floating around the island and heading up right to where the money pit is. So, uh, 
Orbs are a very real paranormal phenomena, and uh, we don't completely know what they are. I have a th- my own theory that orbs are a manifestation of actual spirit bodies, and that uh, the presence of orbs, it, you know, especially in a very energetic form like this kind of a thing, is something to uh, uh, take seriously. There are a lot of people who are going to take exception to that in the paranormal world. Um, because they see orbs and they automatically, you know, it's an orb. It's no, it's nothing. Um, sorry, no, no. There are orbs, and then there are orbs. There's orbs that are dust, which I would agree to throw it out if it's uh, you see it on evidence. But then there are orbs that move about with very careful and deliberate movement that are obviously under some kind of intelligent control, and um, whether they be some kind of artificial probe. Or there's some living life form, which I tend to gravitate to the latter with a lot of these. Uh, they are a factor to take in as, as serious evidence. So anyway, uh, these things are being seen all over. Now, this article here, um, Ghosts of the Sea, which you'll see that link on the, uh, on the show page. Uh, have there been any ghost sightings spotted near the rusting hull 300 miles out to sea? Incredibly, the answer is yes. Ships passing by the site, which is off the coast of Newfoundland, have actually reported seeing orbs. Orbs, as any ghost hunter can tell you, are little balls of light energy, signifying supernatural presences. Multiple orbs have been spotted hovering near the Titanic site on more than one occasion. Here's the interesting part. Furthermore, submarines sailing near the site have reported strange radio signals and interference with their radios, including... SOS messages, which was very new at the time. In fact, um, Titanic was the first ship in history to issue an SOS. Before then, it was uh, CQD, come quick danger, was the Morse code uh, equivalent of SOS. But SOS was first used by Titanic. So, uh, you know, put that in the back of your mind. Um, Imagine that, though all these years of radio signals that have been picked up by uh, ships and submarines and they're never able to get a fix on the uh, location of the signal where it's coming from. Now, I don't know how, um, and this may be somebody who can uh, help me with this. Most ships underwater, most submarines don't do well with um, shortwave radio. They tend to go with long wave. Um, And I don't know the frequencies they used back in the day, but I do think that Titanic would have, it likely was using some form of long wave radio. Um, If it was, then uh, it might perform well underwater too. But it is interesting to see that these these, uh, submarines are even reported to have this happening. So I don't know. Uh, It's kind of a weird thing. Uh, (laughs) You know, to have all of this going on and to have um, people then get upset because somebody wants to go investigate this. Uh, Too many things like this are happening. There's an old saying uh, I just wrote in my book about this um, by Dion Fortune. You're going to hear me repeatedly say her name over the the years as we do this show. Uh, Dion Fortune wrote a lot of uh, books on paranormal phenomena and uh, what could be called the occult. 
and uh, she was actually a very uh, a very uh, beneficial woman in that she had a very high set of ethics regarding these things. And uh, she had a saying that, you know, when you have this many phenomena being reported, there are surely some that are going to be uh, misunderstood, uh, misidentified, you know, natural phenomena. And then you're going to have the ones that are genuine, just like what happens with UFOs. And her saying was, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. And uh, I tend to agree that there is something here that's going on with Titanic. Uh, this really needs to be explored. I'm hoping that, you know, other paranormal people who are listening to this show, uh, who do know people that can get this done, even if you have to uh, investigate surreptitiously, uh, just to see, it's kind of like going fishing, this EVP thing we do and paranormal phenomena stuff. Uh, if you come go about it the right way and just go in and look to see, is there something there? I think it does no harm. As long as you're not you know, using it for uh, get calling attention to yourself, uh, do it for reasons that are uh, from the heart. And, you know, and remember with paranormal evidence like this, this, you know, 1500 people died here. It was one of the great tragedies of the sea. And, uh, it changed the world. Uh, radio communications of Titanic. I see that. Um, let me let me pop that up here. I'm seeing that in the. Uh, let me see what that says. Yeah. Um, this was made by Marconi. Could handle 250 passenger telegrams from. Uh, 36 hours later, it was under under the water. Um, yeah, this is kind of a, uh, a breakdown of the whole thing. Um, let me, uh, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you guys what to search for that are listening live. Uh, go out and look under, uh, look for all stations, distress radio communications from the time of Titanic of the Titanic. And, uh, it's by a Mr. Joe Hersey chief of the U.S. Coast Guard. Um, he worked for the Spectrum Management and Telecommunications Policy Division. So there is some great information there regarding the radio and uh, all the breakout of how that all worked. So, yeah, very good catch there, Debbie. Thank you. Um, we will put that in the show notes for tomorrow when I update the site. Um, let me close this out. We've got... Let's get into some just good cool stories this is the meat of the show right here grab some uh, grab something to drink and we'll just go through these one at a time a lady in black appears on the grand staircase not on any kind of titanic that you would imagine being near the ocean no this is in las vegas <laughs> yeah in vegas baby they've got a titanic ex uh exhibition at the luxor and, you know, there's an interesting thing. Um, I don't know. I've been in the Luxor a couple of times. And when you go in, you can feel some weird stuff with that place. It is uh, uh, when you are inside a uh, pyramidal structure, uh, they are reputed to amplify uh, natural microwaves. And uh, 
and they also induce other phenomena, including paranormal ones. And so putting, I thought it was a very strange thing when I read that. I was like, wow, um, they've put, they've put a bunch of objects that they had something like 200 objects from Titanic that they could, they, uh, literally pulled out of the ocean and then put into this place inside this pyramid in Vegas, which already has a weird enough energy about it already. And it's under this pyramid. And now you have all these haunted objects. Weird stuff has been happening there for many years. And, um, You saw that exhibit. Mike says he saw it in San Francisco years ago. What year was that is what uh, Debbie is saying. I'll watch for that. Uh, but it is really strange because this woman uh, evidently was photographed on this replica of the Grand Staircase. And there are a number of these at different museums across the world now. And so the ghosts of Titanic have kind of their pick. You know, there's one... Uh, one museum somewhere in, uh, I think, Missouri, or the center of the country. And then there's uh, more of them on the East Coast, I think, in Newfoundland. And uh, it's just amazing uh, the love that people put into this. It's a lot of interest in Titanic for various good reasons. But um, anyway, this guy was taking a picture in the Luxor of the grand staircase they have there and looks up and he sees this woman coming down the stairs who shouldn't be there. And she comes down the stairs and he asks her if he wants to photograph, you know, she wants to be photographed and she doesn't say a word. And then he looks down and then looks back up and she's gone and he turns and she's right behind him. And he had no idea how she got there. And, uh, she then just disappears. She just disappears. And, uh, that's not the, the only phenomena that happens there. There's uh, more of this. I think there's, um, more in this particular article. Um, this is also a, a Luxor thing that goes on. This is Jay Bruce Ismay. He's the, uh, he was, I, they call him the, one of the builders. I think he was actually an owner, but, uh, don't count me, uh, completely correct on that. Um, he was one of the, the men that got off the ship and, the the press absolutely savaged him for, uh, jumping on a boat and getting out of that. And, uh, there were some stories that he uh, dressed as a woman and all kinds of different things, but, uh, however he got off the boat, he got off the boat and, um, a lot of people took exception to it. Uh, he was never the same after that. Uh, his wife spent a long time, uh, fending off any questions and wouldn't let anybody talk about Titanic around him. He lived, uh, basically in, uh, uh, kind of mental torture the rest of his life. It was actually a very sad end for this guy. And uh, so I have a little bit of, uh, I wouldn't say forgiveness for him, but I have a little bit of empathy for him because uh, the terror of losing your life, I'm, you know, I'm sure all the people wanted to do that. And here he was, the owner of the line, and he took advantage of it, uh, probably thinking he had a right to. Um, anyway, this picture of him is on display in that particular museum there in Vegas. And uh, there is actually reputedly video of this picture of him being taken off the wall and laid on the floor and it's turned around and it was facing into the wall instead of being 
looking out. It was looking, you know, the face with his image was looking in towards the wall. And, uh, uh, a lot of different reports of this surfaced. And I did go back and look and, uh, um, uh, there is no video that I could find, but there's enough credible stories that I'm thinking that this is fairly credible that this happened. Um, Captain Smith, it turns out, uh, is somebody who seems to appear repeatedly uh, in various places since his death on Titanic. Um, a lot of people think that the way he went down with the ship in uh, the movie Titanic, you know, with James Cameron, uh, is what happened. Uh, I read that there was actually, the report was that he went into the water with another officer uh, when the ship broke in two, and they, uh, uh, he just ended up, that was the end of it for him. Uh, he died like everybody else did, just the cold and the exposure got to him. Uh, but what is interesting, in 1977, the year I graduated from high school, um, this officer, second officer of the SS Winterhaven, uh, was, his name was Leonard Bishop. He described giving a tour to a man who was really interested in every aspect of the ship's operation, very uh, much into it. He was a very, it was an older, soft-spoken British man. And he really wanted to uh, understand everything. And he asked so many questions that, you know, this, uh, you know, Leonard Bishop took note of this and remembered it. And some years later, he was uh, talking with another gentleman and uh, the subject came up of uh, Captain Smith as far as a photo was shown without identifying him. And, this, and Leonard says, oh, yes, I gave him a tour of my ship, and here's what he did. And a friend that was with him said, that can't have possibly have happened. That was the captain of the Titanic. And there have been other uh, appearances of this gentleman back in his home in England. Uh, every, everybody who buys the home that this guy had and lives in it, that uh, Captain Smith had, uh, lived in back in the day, uh, reports his ghost hanging around. And living on a haunted property like I do with my ghosts, uh, yeah, it's, it's entirely doable. He, why wouldn't he go back home? I would tend to think that there would be something to it. So you did give that one a look, SS Winterhaven. Uh, go look that up, SS Winterhaven, all one word, and uh, Titanic, and then see what you think. You know, how many of these are credible? Um, I think quite a few of them are. Uh, Frederick Fleet, this is the guy who was the lookout aboard Titanic. He's the one that spotted the iceberg. Um, he did not have binoculars like they were supposed to. There's a whole story uh, relating to that with uh, what happened and uh, it was a cavalcade of errors that each one on their own were not enough to take the ship down. But by the time you get done putting them all together, this is how disasters happen. Just a small bunch of little errors that add up to a big problem. And uh, this poor guy blamed himself, I think, for many years. He hung himself in 1964 uh, because he just, all those years he lived with that. Uh, I think blaming himself and I think it's truly tragic, uh, but there's an image of him and uh, 
after his wife's passing in 1964, he was evicted by his brother-in-law and hung himself in the garden, which is just terrible. Uh, anyway, he uh, it says here his grave was unmarked, and the Titan, Titanic Historical Society did get him a headstone in 1993. But he's claimed to be uh, quite the traveler. He shows up on the promenade deck uh, replica in Las Vegas at you know the uh, the pyramid there. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the name of that. My brain is yeah at the Luxor. And uh, I need to take a drink there, guys. <coughs> Excuse me. Anyway, um, the, the the emotion that these survivors went through for uh, you know fifty and sixty years until they all began dying off uh, has to have been considerable, and uh, and yet it's interesting to see how they gravitate to that one moment of their lives where such a, an amazing and uh, tragic event happened. And this guy's ghost goes and hangs out there. Um, I would love to see if anybody's ever done a paranormal investigation of the Luxor for this exhibition. Uh, I think that would be just an outstanding thing to, to see if things ever get better with the gas uh, prices, who knows? I might try to do it myself. Go talk them into it. I'm pretty good at getting people to come on, you know, and talk to me, you know, 80% of life is showing up, right? You know, (laughs) but I think that's, that is a, a a interesting story. Uh, it would be great to see if they're getting any kind of video of this, of this spirit showing up, uh, witnesses claim to see him keeping watch over the Vegas promenade deck, uh, the Titanic promenade deck. And they're saying driven by his guilt. He may just uh, have enjoyed his time aboard the ship uh, as short as it was, five days before it sank. Um, the, the museum staffers are talking here about at that particular exhibition that they are poked and uh, prodded by unseen hands. Now, uh, a lot of people think that that doesn't happen. Uh, I am going to let you know that it does. It's happened to me repeatedly. I've done a lot of paranormal work, and uh, it does happen. And you can uh, rest assured that when you have a strong hand grab you like this in the dead of night, when you've turned the lights out in your own room, and you have a spirit walk up and just squeeze your arm and then move back, um, that will that will get your attention. Uh, it turned out it was probably my father who had passed uh, three months earlier that did that. But there have been other cases where I have been shoved. I've been poked. I felt like I've been stabbed. I've been scratched. Uh, I have had uh, face-to-face encounters with uh, spectral entities. One this far from my face, literally uh, staring me in the eyes with no, it, it had no eyes, just sockets. And it was uh this crooked smile, and it was all in gray. Uh, of course, you know, plenty of shadow people, face-to-face encounters. Uh, so, yeah, they do touch, and uh, not all of them are good. And uh, this sounds to me like they're just letting the uh, staff know, hey, we're around. And uh, I think that's pretty cool. But uh, if you guys have any question too, 
questions in the chat room, uh, definitely put them out there. I will stop and answer them. Um, the Georgia Aquarium is another place where they have haunted artifacts from the tit uh, Titanic. Uh, they also see shadows, hear voices, are even touched by spirits. Same thing as at the Luxor. Uh, paranormal activity is so intense that uh, the uh, TAPS team came out to investigate ghost hunters. And uh, they got uh, EVPs. Uh, someone here says, no, please wait in the iceberg room. Wow, just neat stuff. Uh, so it just seems like all these all these different um, exhibitions seem to get the phenomena. And uh, I, just, I saw today in the research that there was actually a ship, a full-scale replica that the Chinese have built. And it would be very interesting to see what's happening with that. Uh, given the economic situation in the world and all that, I don't know if they've completed it. Uh, but it will be definitely interesting to see if there's um, any reports that come out of China. I'm definitely, I, I put that on my list to just kind of keep an eye on. Uh, but imagine that a full scale Titanic replica, you know, mostly complete. And um, if that thing ever does sail, uh, that will be very interesting. There's been talk of a Titanic replica for years, but it's all been. Uh, a lot of vaporware until uh, I saw this today. And I thought, wow, because I, I mean, I actually saw the picture. It was out there. I, I forgot to grab the link to share with you guys. Um, there's a Titanic Belfast Museum. And the same kind of thing happens, built by the Irish, sunk by the English, uh, as they like to say in Ireland, Ireland about Titanic. Uh, they have their own ghostly presence. Uh, a woman touring the museum listened to the final distress call of the RMS Titanic. Uh, she claimed that uh, while hearing the original Morse code and seeing the words of the distress call, she became overwhelmingly emotional. Her heart was pounding and she became anxious and heartbroken as if she were the radio controller herself. And uh, she got uh, very emotional and began crying. And she felt a hand on her shoulder and a male voice say, it's okay. And uh, again, not all spirits are bad. They uh, Some are very empathetic. And if they have... You know, for those ones that gravitated to the, the, the Belfast Museum, uh, there would naturally be a lot of Irish there because, uh, you know, many of the crew were Irish and uh, they would go back to where their homes were, you know, in the UK there in Ireland and uh, hang out at that museum. Uh, there's a lot of love in these places. So, you know, a lot of people um, uh, who passed on do go back and hang out and have that connection. Uh, so it's really, uh, I think it's, I think it's a touching story. I think this is the kind of stuff that really shows the, uh, the gentle side of the paranormal. It can have its, uh, dark sides too, but yeah, here's, uh, Captain Smith, which we talked about, uh, him haunting his home. Uh, he lingers his, the couple that have had the house for the last decade, renting it. It's a 19th century Victorian, and their tenants have reported feeling icy chills passing through them, hearing strange, noise, strange noises, and seeing the captain himself go by. And uh, they've had floods in the kitchen and unusually cold gusts in the dining room. This is what happens here at my home. I have uh, my cold breezes that come through, and uh, uh, literally the hair on you just stands up, and it's like, oof. Um, 
This woman that lived there, Mrs. Bonner, or Mr. Bonner, actually the gentleman, some years ago, uh, we had a single chap living in there, and he rang up one day convinced he had seen the ghost of the captain. He was in bed and saw him drift across the room. And it would make sense that he would uh, come to visit. So, yeah, uh, I would just call out and say, how you doing, sir? Any messages for me? Yeah, interesting stuff. But, yeah, we covered the orbs. You know, there's uh, the SOS calls, all that kind of thing. Would be interesting to, to uh, if the paranormal team went out there, I would put a paranormal team with ham radio operators in um, with wide-spectrum radios that could listen to basically the entire radio bandwidth all at once and record it. There are such radios out there. I've seen them. They're very expensive. They're not cheap, but you could get all kinds of data in, uh, you know, maybe uh, a week's worth of observations come out with probably a hundred gigabytes worth of data and then uh, go through it over your own leisure. And I'll bet you, you would put, find some things in there. And there would probably be a lot of EVPs there too. Uh, EVP are not just about uh, recording um, voices on tape. EVP uh, have been, uh, heard on radio for years. As a matter of fact, there's something called the Jurgensen frequency at the AM frequency of uh, 1485 kilohertz. 1485 on your dial is where uh, EVP tend to kind of congregate on the AM dial. So you have, you have your very own uh, spirit radio. If you have a portable or a, a car radio, you can tune to that and just see what you get. Uh, there was an episode of Ghost uh, Whisperer where they were uh, talking about EVP in one episode and they were playing EVP on the radio. And as much as uh, it seemed to be Hollywood effects, yes, it can really happen on your car radio. And there have been plenty of stories of EVP on radio uh, all over the place. So I've got them on mine. Um, do I have one of my rigs here? No, I don't. I've got it in another place here, but... I've got a radio. We're actually going to do an episode where we do some live EVP on the air and see if we can catch something. So we're going to do that here very in a very uh, near future. We're going to see just what we get. I've been doing some work with um, weekly uh, EVP capture here at the house with something called Big Circle. We'll talk about that another day. Uh, but um, I've done quite a few shows with on, on-air EVP and gotten some amazing results. So anyway, uh, I think, let's see. Oh, this is a deathbed premonition. I did not see this one here. Somebody got their HTML wrong. Look at that. They got a paragraph there right in the title. <laughs> anyway, a creepy legend surrounding the Titanic comes from the deathbed of a young Scottish girl named Jessie. On the same night the ship went down, uh, Jessie was on the verge of dying and in her delirious state supposedly spoke of a massive sinking ship and a man named Wally playing a fiddle. She had no way of knowing that Titanic would sink that night or that Wallace, Wally Hartley, playing his violin was one of the last, uh, it was the last time he and his band uh, played and went down with the ship trying to comfort the people who were all all basically going to die. And uh, so, yes, I had not known of this one. I did not read all these today because I like to kind of surprise myself. So I find enough good stuff. Um. Again, here's that title with The Wreck of the Titan is another uh, name for that same book by Morgan Robertson. I said it right this time. In 1898, 
And then 14 years later, the real disaster happens. And that's kind of a good lead-in. Um, we'll kind of go back to more earthly moments with Titanic. Let me look at my time here. Yeah, we got 58 minutes left. So we got plenty to get us through here tonight. Um, how are we doing? Oh, yeah, we got plenty of people listening. Nine people. Well, hello to all nine of you. Glad to have you aboard. If you are in the chat room and you've got a question for me, definitely put that in. I will. Uh, I do see you out there, and I am watching for that kind of thing. Let's talk about some of the things that happened in the background with the kind of the salty business of operating ocean liners in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. It turns out there was an awful lot of strange things going on with regard to the politics of ocean travel. Uh, one of the uh, other ships we might be able to get to talk about tonight, uh, I will definitely comment on this because it was nothing new uh, before what happened with Titanic. Now, J.P. Morgan, you know, the financier, uh, he was a character that uh, he was not nice. That would be the uh, the uh, operative word here for uh, scoundrel would be the word maybe I would use. Not a nice guy at all. Uh, a very hard-headed, tough businessman and somebody um, who I think would have a comfortable uh, room sitting for him, sitting there down, uh, sitting in hell <laughs> for himself. And he might very well. So we'll just kind of leave it at that. But uh, this is the same guy who kind of put the screws to Nikola Tesla, if you know anything about uh, him. Same gentleman. He kind of got around. And uh, it turns out that Ismay, the guy we saw with the portrait, uh, he uh, and Morgan, and among other people in the White Star Line, were dealing with the fact that there was... Uh, a real problem with one of the predecessor ships to Titanic, which was the Olympic. And uh, there's a theory that goes around that a lot of people have a lot of disagreement with that um, the ship that sank was not Titanic. It was actually Olympic. And there's quite a bit of interesting evidence to kind of back those claims. And, uh, to this day, this creates all kinds of fights back and forth. And uh, basically, what ended up happening was the Olympic was involved several months after her uh, putting out to sea for the first time. It uh, The ship was involved in some collisions that severely damaged the, uh, the, the Olympic. And it was damaged to the point that the ship had a slight degree, I think a two degrees, I think it was a list to port, which would be to the left. Uh, if you're on the ship, port would be on your left, standing in the bridge, and starboard is on the right. So for those that are not into sea, seaman-type terms. So uh, it is interesting that uh, these two ships were right next to each other and virtually identical. There were only minor differences between Olympic and Titanic. And it got to the point where they, it was determined that the Olympic could not pass an inspection to be seaworthy. And uh, everyone knew it. 
and to preserve all the jobs. And this, I watched a uh, video that was on YouTube. Uh, I'm not sure if it's been kept on, but um, uh, for those that get hold of me, I can point you to that link. Uh, it was a very interesting thing. It was a television special, and it caused major, major uh, arguments to go back and forth. But the bottom line was that um, they wanted to get rid of that ship. And insurance fraud back in the early 20th century and 19th century, uh, late 19th centuries, was rampant. And so the operative theory is that uh, on a, partic- a weekend before they... Uh, the Titanic was to put out for its maiden uh, voyage, they swapped the ships, changed the nameplates out, changed the furniture. As a matter of fact, uh, Olympic had uh, brand new carpets installed, or Titanic, if you will, had brand new carpets installed to, uh, the rumor was, to cover up the fact that there was some wear and uh, markings on the floor to indicate that it was, in fact, the Olympic that went down and uh, was going to be sacrificed. And the theory was that uh, they were going to uh, steam out a ship called the California, which many of you have heard of. And it was sent out with uh, something like uh, 3,000 blankets and different uh, coats and different pieces of clothing and no other cargo. And it went out into the uh, ice field where Titanic was going to collide, which they knew roughly where these these icebergs would be. And the idea was to have this happen. And then the California would sail to the day, the rescue and save the ship, all the people on the ship, they would transfer them over and there would be this uh, massive movement. And the you know, white star line would save the day and the Titanic went down and end of story. That's the theory. Um, the interesting thing is, is that there's uh photographs of the ship that um, indicate that this is likely, you know, uh, you know something to, you know, I won't say likely, it's something to take seriously because uh, the portholes on the ship, uh, I've got this image here, but uh, I'm not going to be able to, uh, I'm trying to find it. Yeah, not that one. <laughs> Got to get rid of that. There it is right there. This is the, uh, this article here is called the ship that never sank was Titanic swapped with its sister ship. The Olympic, the Olympic as part of an insurance scam. And this is a very convincing article, uh, right up here. If you look, you can see where I'm moving the mouse. There's differences between the number of these that are on the Olympic versus the Titanic. Now I can't remember the exact number. It was like 14, on one ship and 16 on another. But here you have this whole thing that happened uh, because they wanted to do this insurance scam and they were going to try to save all these people. Well, you know, these kind of plans always have little gotchas and you end up with, uh, you know, things like this. It doesn't go the way they wanted it to. The idea was that they were going to save all these people. Well, the, uh, radio operator um, on the Titanic, I believe, gave the wrong coordinates in his transmissions, which the California, I believe, was monitoring. And it ended up that the uh, California was just over the horizon and could not see what was going on. So they didn't know when to steam over or what was was happening. 
Uh, a number of other strange things happened. The red flares that Titanic, i.e. Olympic, was supposed to have to indicate that they had a disaster underway and needed help were missing. So Titanic was firing white flares indicating all was okay. And uh, I believe the testimony was that the California was saying, oh, uh, yes, we're seeing white flares. And, and so the captain of the California was looking for the red flares. And he got a lot of... Uh, a lot of flack from the uh, investigating committees that were, I think, on both sides, the uh, American investigation and the uh, British, uh, really kind of gave the guard a hard time. But he was doing the job he was set out to do, even though uh, it was not copacetic what they were really up to. But behind all of this intrigue with this, you know, here they, they were going to get rid of this ship that was a problem for them. Uh, all these years later, they go down to the wreck of the, quote, Titanic, and they find evidence of a nameplate that was missed. And they find paint coverings that could only have been on the Titanic or the Olympic. And they look, and his nameplate has some letters that are showing through that are only the letters you would see from the Olympic, which really uh, kind of lends more and more weight to this being actually the Olympic down there. Now, here's the, the, the kicker. Nobody is ever, This is the part I, in my research I've been looking at. Nobody has talked about the fact that the, the quote, Olympic, after the sinking of the Titanic, went on to serve for over 20 years and even participated, I think, in World War uh, II as a you know, troop carrier and things like that. So this ship was, was um, you know, actively in service all that time. And it, isn't it odd that the Olympic uh, 2.0, if you will, which was really the Titanic, uh, was uh, suddenly able to uh, steam out and serve all these years and miraculously had no list and miraculously was structurally sound. So uh, an awful lot of strange events surround this entire thing. And let me tell you, from a uh, paranormal perspective, if you were among those 1,500 people who passed away uh, as a result of these kind of shenanigans, I think you'd have a reason to do haunting, wouldn't you? I think there's something there very uh, real to consider. Now, um, am I going to uh, say that there's not evidence going counter? To this theory, of course, there's uh, people who are going to come back with things that are, are going to be supporting the other side of the theory. Uh, it's my belief that the ship that uh, went down was Olympic. That's my personal take after studying the evidence. Uh, the smell test, uh, you know, applied and looking at it from all sides, uh, there's something there to be looked at. I think uh, an expedition to go down and take a little, another look at those plates and to look at the uh, specific features that would identify it as Olympic would be uh, something to do. I do believe that um, there are forces behind this that don't want that to happen. And uh, we'll get into that right now. Again, you guys have seen this page. The three people that were aboard that ship that J.P. Morgan had some beefs with 
were uh, Aster, and uh, there was uh, Strauss, Levi Strauss, I think, was there. And uh, I'm looking at here. Here we are. Uh, Morgan funded and built the Titanic. He booked the voyage, but he canceled at the last second. Uh, he, in fact, even had some uh, cargo taken off that he did not want to see lost. Uh, Milton Hers Hershey of the Hershey uh, Food Empire, Hershey Candy Bars, was also supposed to be on and canceled at the last moment, miraculously. I mentioned the red flares. Here we are. Uh, there no red flares on board to signal any lifeboats for rescue, only the white flares. Wouldn't that be interesting if somebody took the red flares off? Uh, they had uh, the Astor family. Uh, here are the three. Benjamin Guggenheim opposed the new Federal Reserve Bank. Uh, is I, I'm going to try to say that. Is a Strauss opposed, I thought it was Levi, but it's Isa Strauss opposed the uh, Federal Reserve Bank and Jacob Astor, the richest man in the world, opposed the FRB, the Federal Reserve Bank. And all three were aboard that ship when it sank. So the question is, did you have a conspiracy within a conspiracy? And uh, that is something to really uh, think about. Would Astor... Uh, the Astor, Strauss, and Guggenheim being gone uh, be an ample reason for uh, J.P. Morgan to get rid of the competition and put in uh, these people to get what he was looking for to happen. And those who backed him. Uh, very interesting stuff. Something to very uh, much consider. I'm, uh, I'm inclined to think there's you know good evidence to, evidence to this. So, uh, it's tragic no matter how you cut it. You know, uh, I just find it, I find it that if he did do this, uh, karma is a real tough thing. I think believe in karma. I believe it's a very real aspect of uh, the paranormal world. And uh, he is resting in his grave wherever he is. And uh I'm sure that uh, his life review, if you believe in these kind of things, was uh, not good. Absolutely, you're right. It's spooky. Very spooky. But, yeah, to take a look at this for yourselves, guys, and uh, see what you think. Um, I just think that uh, if it was done, it was extremely shameful. But this is the part where when I said early in the show that Titanic changed life for every single person on this planet, this is the story why. Titanic was far more than just some ship sinking. It was an event. It was an event to change um, the direction of the world. And uh, if you stop to look at everything that's going on right now, uh, with regard to uh, how our uh, systems work with monetary policy and things like that, it can all trace back to this. So look at it from both sides. Don't form an opinion until you've done the research. Uh, think about it for yourself and weigh the evidence and then make your own decision. And there you go. So let's get back to the ghosts. What time we got? Yeah, we got uh, about 40 minutes left in the show. I want to talk about the Titanic coal. 
I don't have this actually as a um, a link for you guys, but I, I know the story in depth. And uh, Titanic was powered by coal. And, uh, and if you believe it was Olympic, the same thing. Both ships, that's how they ran back in the day. And uh, the ship purportedly to be the Titanic, why don't, we, why don't we just call it that, purportedly the Titanic, was um, uh, left, actually left on its maiden, quote, maiden voyage. And there was a uh, gentleman aboard who was a uh, science teacher. He was a second-class uh, passenger. I don't remember his name, but he noted the two-degree list to, list to port. And uh, his... his uh, uh, educational background was taken seriously by the people who did the uh, uh, did the investigations about this thing with the port, which we mentioned earlier. And it turned out there was a fire aboard Titanic at the time it left. They had a coal fire going on uh, roughly midships. I can't remember which side it was on. Uh, it was probably on the, I would guess, on the starboard side. And they were shifting coal all around. All kinds of things were going on. Or it might have been on the port, you know, you know, one side or the other. Let's just say that. I, I can't remember right off the bat. But the bottom line is there was a fire. And a lot of stuff was going on down below to deal with the fire. So these people, not only do you have the intrigue going on with the insurance switch, not only do you have this you know, J.P. Morgan doing what he does best, now you have a fire aboard that is spontaneously started and the coal is burning and they're trying to deal with that mess down below. And these things did happen on these ships. This is not unusual, but here you have another cause of potential problems, uh, especially because steel under those conditions weakens under high temperatures and uh, could be a real issue for the ship. I think it was struck on the starboard side when it was hit on the right side and where the six gashes happened. And I think that was the, the place where the, uh, the fire was at. But uh, do your own research on that. I'm just kind of quoting from memory. But an interesting fact about the coal. All these years later, the only thing that the general public could buy commercially was the coal. They brought up all kinds of coal uh, from these uh, deep diving submersibles. We're bringing it up by the bucket load. And to help fund the uh, fund the expeditions, they were selling the coal in little uh, display boxes, and people were buying these. And I think we brought it up once on the show before. I don't know if one of you in the audience, uh, Mike or, or Ryan, one of you, I think, told me you had some Titanic coal. I, you know, I think one of you did. Somebody did who was on the show in the audience. Anyway... Um, I was watching this show. It was a uh, paranormal ghost story type show. And this was some years back. I think it was uh, five or ten years ago. And this story was out there. I think you could find it on, uh, yeah, Mike, it was you. Yeah, her, his friend brought a chunk of, of coal from Titanic at, an, at the San Francisco exhibit. So they were selling this stuff. And I think they still do. I think there's still uh, some of it available. Um. But it turns out this woman in uh, Canada at the Canada exhibit saw this and thought, wow, that's cool. I'll buy some. So she buys it. And she goes home and she's almost immediately taken ill. She got incredibly sick. 
And she couldn't figure out why. And then she realized that she had committed a sin, according to her own beliefs, in buying that coal. It was her belief that she had, uh, her motives for buying it were not pure. And she felt like she was being punished. And um, it ended up, uh, she went to bed that night and her husband was taking care of her because she was so sick. And she wakes up in a cold sweat in the dead of night and looks out and there's this man dressed in a coal worker's uniform, something you would see an ocean-going uh, coal worker wearing in there looking at her and smiling at her and giving her this glaring look at the same time. It was one, It's not that kind of a smile that you want to see on a person. You know the kind of thing I mean, you know, you in the audience. Uh, you've had people give you those looks. It's kind of chilling, especially if it's the wrong kind of person. And uh, it ended up, uh, she freaked out, wakes up the husband, you know, the whole house goes into an uproar. And uh, she's completely uh, in a blind panic over the whole thing. And uh, she was going to return, return it to the museum. But the story was she never did return it. And uh, when they, uh, they broke for commercial with that, it came back and she talked about it at the end before they closed out the episode. And uh, the thing was that she uh, changed her viewpoint about the coal. She saw herself as its caretaker and that uh, the attitude was that this was a piece of a tragedy and she now became its caretaker and was obligated to remember its memory. And uh, I thought that was a brilliant way to handle it because you, you, you've got to realize, I mean, that was taken from a gravesite. And I think that her change of, of heart was probably taken uh, the right way by the, uh, the spirits of Titanic who probably saw this as kind of a, you know, if I were them, I would try to take it personal too. But if it, you know, they probably had some inside knowledge that this would get shown to the wider world and talked about. And here I am talking about this story. I'm a link in a chain that goes on and on talking about this little story of the coal. But you are led back to the spirits of these people who died because of these strange shenanigans and tragic things that happened to these poor people who just wanted to get across the ocean. And uh, I think it's just a beautiful story. And so this woman, I think to this day, still has this coal and uh, treats it very reverently. And uh, that's the way to see it. Uh, in my book that I'm writing, uh, we talk about these cases of people who take things that they shouldn't take from paranormal sites and uh, or uh, even graveyards. It's one thing to go in and take, uh, you know, you know, put coins down or put down trinkets or bring balloons and things like that. But when you take the dead, don't like that. It's a bad move. Um, there is an exception for the people that maintain the burial places or the, the official people who have a relationship with the dead uh, and are taking care of the site. Yes, they can take these things and, and dispose of them. Or, you know, if it's coins being left at the uh, cemetery, um, which is actually something a lot of people do. Coin leaving is not only a, a civilian thing, but the military uh, coins that left at grave sites have special significance. And uh, I'll talk about that in a future show. But 
uh, if you leave coins for military, there's a very uh, specific set of, uh, if you leave a quarter, it was you know, on the stone, it's because you were there with the soldier when they died. If you were leave uh, different denominations, dimes, nickels, pennies, uh, then it's you know, more about acquaintance or you're honoring their service. If you leave a penny, a penny is the safest one of all because if you don't know anything else, just leave a penny because it's, it's a sign of respect for anyone, whether they're uh, former military or civilian. And so that's why you see pennies in cemeteries, believe it or not. And I think that's like a really, uh, it's a really cool thing. But, but taking those pennies, taking that money, that's for the uh, operation of the cemetery at that point. Or they give it to charity. I don't, I, I've never really researched that. So, yeah. Oh, yes. Thank you for pointing that out, Debbie. Uh, yeah, if you want to learn more or want to interact with the show, uh, definitely go out to uh, facebook.com slash soulstreamradio. And you can suggest topics for the show or ask me questions. Uh, Debbie's out there too as an administrator, so we both operate it together. Uh, if you want to go out and look at my uh, paranormal site, uh, it's going to be ghostwriterinvestigations.com. All run together, no hyphens. Ghostwriterinvestigations.com. And you'll see all my uh, cool stuff that we talk about there. I need to update that site. I haven't written in a couple of weeks. I'm going to pull it up there. But there you go. You guys can see it there on Twitch, the mighty Twitch. Uh, I've got here a, a great article on uh, EVP voices from back in October 1995 when EVP were all the rage. And they're coming back, by the way. Lots going on. Uh, but yeah, there's all kinds of stuff there. Uh, let me go to the Soulstream site. There's a couple articles that we know how to talk about. We're kind of winding it down here. We've got about 30 minutes left. This is cool. Slightly off topic. We'll go back to Titanic for just a, you know, in just a moment. But this happened this month. There's this Amazon driver in Illinois. He's driving along uh, in Bensonville, Illinois, on Center Street, just south of West Green Street. He just finished dropping off a couple of boxes at a residence and was walking back to his van. He heard a chirping noise. And... There was a series of clicks. Now, Ryan, this is something I would see happening to you out where you live there in Volcanoville, USA, out here in the western part of California. I'll bet you've got these kind of things out there. Anyway, this thing is chirping at him and clicking, and he looks up thinking it was a woodpecker and dismissed that until he heard the noise again. And he finally locates it, and it's uh, basically, I think, on the roof of a building behind him and it was a seven foot tall uh winged insectoid creature looking at him it was on top of the house next to uh here it is down below there on top of the house next door was a tall thin winged person who was looking directly at me it looked like a giant flying insect but must have been six to seven feet tall the guy initially jumped off uh jumped back and started i think took off for his van i'm sure and uh, the thing actually lifted off and took off flying, which was amazing. Uh, he looked around uh, at the trees and was kind of, uh, you know, if it were me, I'd be in the van locking the doors and, and thinking real hard about getting some raid, you know. I'd get a can of raid for that. Um, 
<laughs> so anyway, you can click the link, uh, go out there on the uh, SoulStream site, and you'll see the actual article from Phantoms and, Mo- and Monsters. I just thought that was the best best <laughs> story. <laughs> it just amazed me. Um, a little, uh, I did some research on Ghost Whisperer, and I was using uh, some stories from that in my book. And it turns out, I did a little story off of this um, for the website. It turns out Ghost Whisperer had real ghosts on the set. And uh, a lot of people don't realize that. You know, uh, evidently, um, uh, when you do shows about ghosts, ghosts like to come out and hang out and check it out for themselves. Yeah, you don't need Mothman out there. You know, um, there's a lot of stuff with Mothman. We should do a Mothman episode. You know, are you guys up for that? Because I could tell you some stories about Mothman that, you know, curl your wings. Uh, Especially with regard to Chernobyl. A lot of people don't know about the Chernobyl Mothman. And there's uh, a lot of cool stuff with that. A lot of strange things happened with Chernobyl and paranormal events that were a virtual duplicate of what happened in the eastern United States. You like Mothman, Debbie? Yeah, I think we'll do a show. We'll... Let's do a Mothman show. I like that idea. Yeah, there was there was some very odd things happening. And um, let me put it this way: uh, you know, Russia today is far different than what the old Soviet Union was back in the day when this happened in the Ukraine uh, with Chernobyl. And um, the Russian way of dealing with uh, the paranormal was uh, uh, to ignore it, and yet. These warnings were coming in. Yeah, yeah. put up a huge fly strip. That's the way you do it. I was thinking more along the lines of a Vulcan cannon, but that's, you know, that's the different, you know, that's my defense background coming out there, Ryan. <laughs> no problemo. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and uh, if those of you, if you're interested to uh, go, to, go out, we did the two-part episode with Vicki Elsing from her haunted secondhand shop last week really great guest i loved her uh being on she's a sweet sweet lady uh we did two episodes of that uh one from the original interview in 2009 and then kind of an update uh in in her retired life and her memories of everything that happened from 2009 when she closed the store in 2020 uh during the ovid thing and uh yeah really weird stuff that happened there objects floating off the shelves and they got so used to it they told they'd tell the ghost knock it off put the stuff back down and the ghosts would do it they would put things down um yeah you get to you know you get relationships with ghosts my ghosts here it's the same thing uh i kind of take what they do just in in stride and i don't get freaked out and uh they like to make themselves known i hear talking most of the time when they're doing things um there's a good story on the brown mountain lights here just check those out uh, unexplained lights seen uh, in North Carolina. And there's some I think they're seen in New Mexico, if memory serves right. I can't remember what they're called. But anyway, just uh, go out and check that stuff out. I, I pepper the, the SoulStream site with all that stuff for you guys. So just definitely check these things out. And if you've got something you wanted me to put out there, uh, throw me a link or something you pick up. Uh, throw it out there. Throw it on the uh, Facebook site. That's the primary means to get to us. And we'll definitely uh, look at what you've got and uh, more than likely give it the nod and uh, put it out there for you. Anyway, let's go back. Let me close off tent forward there. I still love that bugles thing. That's the best. 
<laughs> um, why? I think we've kind of gone through the conspiracy. We got that. This binocular thing, it, here's that same gentleman with the binoculars. It turned out, uh, we'll just kind of wind this down, this part of it for Titanic. It turned out the binocular thing was that this poor guy, it wasn't his fault, even though he had some, I'm sure, bad memories of the whole thing. Uh, it turned out they changed out the crew at the last minute, which may tie into this whole conspiracy thing. And um, they put Captain Smith in with his crew. And uh, uh, one of the officers who was supposed to be the person who had the keys to the uh, locker with the binoculars and things like that, uh, where these lookout uh, lookouts for the crow's nest were, uh, he got transferred out of off of Titanic before the maiden voyage, and he had the the key to the locker that would have had the uh, the binoculars. And so there's all this speculation has gone over, over a century over this whole thing with the binoculars, over this bloody key. And uh, you know, there's this story that's in the uh, on my page this show that you can see and this whole thing this whole story about the binoculars and so uh there's a lot of speculation you know going uh saying that you know it you know it would have made a difference it wouldn't have made a difference well you know what if in my book if you'd had the binoculars there it would have made a difference you know uh the gentleman that was on the lookout uh said as much when he did gave his testimony so uh, definitely give that a look. And we've uh, covered pretty much all those ghost stories. If there are any more that come in, uh, definitely uh, any other stories you have of Titanic. Uh, here we go with that picture. They've kind of got a simulation of the picture from uh, this exhibit in Las Vegas. And here's kind of a simulation of what that ghost would have looked like. It's a beautiful rendition of the grand staircase and to see what the floor tiles look like. It's absolutely gorgeous. And they've got all these different, uh, different things there. Here's actual, you can see some of the things like the actual shoes. So these were things people were wearing. So there's a, there's a definite reason why the Luxor is haunted by these things. They've got, I think an actual piece of the hull there that was brought up. It weighed like something like 20 tons. And, uh, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, it's all been preserved. That might be the only piece of ironwork left of Titanic uh, in the next 20 years. Um, yeah, that story of the... I still think the whole thing with the uh, with the EVPs in and around the Titanic area and those of us who can get to uh, evidence that we already have in the form of audio from Titanic, I think it's something definitely to look into. Uh, but in my infinite free time, of which I have none... I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get to that one. Anyway, I think it's an amazing thing. Okay, let's go over to these three ships. Uh, Debbie and I were talking about some of this. Um, I think we'll do this one. I'm looking for the one. This is the Kamloops. This is a story from uh, September of 2011. And this was in 1927. The steamship SS Kamloops was seen for the last time uh, with her crew alive and well. And she was traveling from uh, Montreal uh, to Port Arthur, now known as Thunder Bay. And she got into, she came through the locks 
uh, into uh, Lake Superior. And uh, it was December, and they were trying to beat the weather. And this is a game you don't want to play on the Great Lakes. It, a lot of people think, oh, it's inland. It's just a lake, no big deal. You don't want to be on the Great Lakes in the winter during some of the storms that go ripping through there. And uh, the Edmund Fitzgerald, you've all heard that song. Uh, there's a reason why the Edmund Fitzgerald went down. And uh, Debbie, you were the one telling me today that the Edmund Fitzgerald has ghosts, right? Uh, which I've never really looked into. Yeah, they are basically inland seas. They're huge. And they're the result of uh, old glacier, you know, basically glaciers digging into the earth and creating these giant seas. Oh, yeah, so they see the ship on the sea or on the lake. But I wonder if there are any ghosts, too. You know, maybe we'll have to look into that and talk about Edmund Fitzgerald. But the Kamloops is another one of these ships. And when these people go down in these uh, lakes, uh, the strange thing is the, the fresh water preserves these ships for literally centuries. There's old ships that are down there made of wood that are still preserved. And there are still bodies down there that have not decomposed. I mean, you want to talk about a, a weird thing, you know, especially if you're a diver and you're diving these ships. I, I was reading one of the stories where the, the, the bodies are floating around and divers that go in that are very experienced deep water divers go in and they actually kind of assign personalities to these bodies that are still floating around in these ships. It's just, ooh, you know, kind of, wow. Um, Anyway, this thing uh, was, this ship, the Kamloops, was uh, following another steamer called the Kudok on December 5th, and they hit a massive storm. And uh, this was uh, at a time when uh, they didn't have ship-to-ship radio the way we would uh, expect it to be. They didn't have a lot of vocal radio in that day, I think. They were using uh, uh, just, hand, you know, keyed, keyed uh, Morse code kind of thing. And they were making steady headway through, and... The, uh, the the captain on the Q-Dock looked up and saw a black weather mass ahead of him and realized you know, they were heading into a very dangerous storm. And he sent, sounded, didn't use radio, they sounded a dangerous signal to warn the Kamloops, but the Kamloops kept going on. And so the Q-Dock ended up in a port uh, to get away from, uh, you know, get away from the storm and survived it. But uh, they ended up making it to a place called Fort William, but the Kamloops was never seen again. And uh, Mike is going to, uh, I'm going to share something with Mike after this story. Uh, Mike Makovich is talking about the Fitzgerald. So I do see that, Mike. Um, anyway, this storm became just, just a howling demon of a storm. And there were ships stranded all over the lake. And, and uh, at first they thought, they would be able to find that, but no one saw the Kamloop. And by uh, the 12th of December, all the ships that had been uh, supposedly lost uh, were finally found, and but the Kamloops was never found, um, intact at least. And finally, uh, by December 26th, they realized that the search had to be called off because there was just no way these people could have survived it. Um, anyway, uh, they, you know, the story goes that they were carrying uh, paper-making machinery that the owner of the Canada Steamship Line expected uh, to be delivered before the lake iced in, 
but the, their luck ran out and the entire crew, including two women were never seen alive again. And, uh, they found on an Island in 1928 in spring following year, the remains of several of the crew that had managed to swim ashore on the Island of, uh, amygdaloid. What a strange name for an Island. And they believe that these surviving crew members died of exposure on the island, which offers minimal shelter. And the winds that night on December the 6th reached 62 miles an hour. And the temperature had dipped to 9 degrees below zero. They were basically frozen in their tracks, these poor people. And uh, they didn't have a radio. This was before searches were done by air. And all these factors combined doomed the crew from the start. And for 50 years, they really never knew where the ship was. Well, Forward, fast forward 50 years in, you know, the, the Kamloops was only a 250 foot long ship in August of 77. Here we go again with 1977. Um, these, uh, divers found a sunken ship north of this Island of Isle Royale resting on its starboard side, 260 feet down. And there was no doubt it was the Kamloops and, uh, the waters down below. This is where I was talking about this, these floating bodies, uh, the temperature rarely reaches above 55 Fahrenheit and uh, below 50 feet, the uh, the temperatures range down to about 34 degrees. And because of the cold, the wrecks tend to be preserved, even though it's been 84 years since it sank. And the cargo in the hold is still in almost pristine condition. They've got wire fencing down there, shoes, candy, lifesavers, crates of honeybee molasses. I mean, you name it. <laughs> um, but one story told by divers is that of a body seen in the engine room who they called Grandpa or Whitey. Uh, witnesses have said that he floats or follows quietly behind them as they explore the engine room. Uh, some divers state uh, that he follows them as they explore the room and state that their movements, uh, some people think that they, it's their own movements that cause the currents to make this happen. And others say that Grandpa has a will of his own, and that would creep me out. I don't know about you guys, but that would creep me out, having that happen. <laughs> that just does not work for John. No, 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 no. Um, regardless, his appearance has scared more than one diver, diver half to death in the compartment. His skin is described as pale white uh, or very pale, and he has a wedding ring on his hand. Um, so anyway, the, the cause of the, the accident is, a, they say it, it's a mystery. No, it's not a mystery. Hell, they ran into a storm that, uh, uh, probably capsized the ship and, uh, the surviving crew didn't make it. Uh, it's the mystery isn't there, but, um, not so much a ghost thing, although it, they allude to this ghostly presence. Um, I've heard of underwater ghosts that follow people around diving wrecks before and, this one is especially weird. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Mike uh, had a story here. Let me let me read it to you guys. Uh, Mike Yakovich says, My cousin was in the Ghost Coast Guard stationed on Lake Superior. He was the only, he was on duty the night at the Fitzgerald went down. He said it was the worst storm he had ever seen. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, and they relate that in the storm, the Witch of November, I think is uh, what they call that. And yeah, you don't want to be on the Great Lakes, November, December, January, February. No, not a good idea. Um, is the ghost of 
Oh, Debbie's got this. Uh, there is a ghostly sighting thing here. I won't play it tonight because we're running low on time. We're getting down to the last uh, number of minutes here before the show ends. But we'll put this one up for the following show. We'll uh, pop that on and kind of continue this Fitzgerald thing. And maybe we'll do a Fitzgerald show. Um, we have time for one more. Uh, let me look at this. Which one is this? We'll do this one. The RMS Roan. And it was uh, wrecked beneath the sea near Salt Island, a part of the British Virgin Islands in the Caribbean, man. Yaman, the Caribbean. The uh, English Royal Mail Packet Company had uh, RMS Roan, a mail carrier and passenger ship built in 1865. She was 30 feet long, 40 feet wide, and was considered the most modern and fastest in the company fleet. Uh, Ran successfully for a couple of years, but in October of 1867, she ran into trouble, hit a storm. You know, uh, always a problem when you hit these storms. Well past hurricane season, so the ship's captain thought, oh, no problem. Uh, He took the ship... uh, close to another uh, ship called the Conway and transferred the passengers from that to his ship because uh, the Rhone was considered unsinkable. Where have we heard that before? Uh, the Conway, uh, after losing uh, or discharging all the people aboard it, was then uh, lost itself in the same storm with all hands on board. So uh, it was just, it was a twin accident. Uh, as the Rhone passed the island of Tortola, which I've actually been by, the captain felt that they were heading into a, just another early winter storm. Uh, but what ended up, what ended up happening, he sailed into, uh, into the storm and then the storm suddenly cleared. The sky turned blue and the captain realized his mistake. He was sitting in the middle of a hurricane. It turned out to be a, a category five hurricane. And, um, they had, after they had transferred all these other people aboard, somewhere between three to 500 passengers, it, it remains unknown to this day. And many of the passengers were hysterical as the storm battered the ship. So Captain Woolley had the passengers lashed uh, down and tied to their bunks to prevent injury. And this turned out to be a very bad decision because the anchor snapped in the height of the storm and it ended up, they were hit by a giant wave. It washed the captain overboard, uh, which it doesn't say what ended up happening to him, but uh, it tossed the ship into a series of rocky outcrops off of uh, something called Salt Island uh, in a spot known as Black Rock, which is kind of a fortuitous name. And uh, the ship was smashed into the rocks. The, the, the uh, water rushed in into a big hole through the side of the ship and hit the boiler and the boiler blew up and it ripped the ship into completely in two. And, uh, the stern of the ship where the most of the passengers were lashed to their bunks and beds sank quickly. The back end sank upright. So, and, and only four people were able to climb the mask mast and, uh, get above the water and await rescue. And, uh, so, uh, of all the people on board, only four passengers survived the rest were crew. Or actually, no, only one was a passenger that survived. Twenty, The other 22 were crew members. And, uh, okay, see you later there, Mr. Rooster Jerky. I see you there going away. Good night, my friend. We're about ready to close the show out anyway, so you're not missing everything. 
Take care there. Get some more UFO footage for me, and you need to be on the show, dude. <laughs> we need to talk UFOs, you and I. You've got some good stuff we can share. Anyway, um, they turned this wreck. Uh, it was 30 feet below the water. The bow is down at about 80 feet. And uh, divers who dive this wreck say it is incredibly haunted. And they have had shoulders tugged. They have uh, turned to find that there's nobody there. They hear uh, screams and groans, uh, which kind of lends authenticity to the whole notion of doing uh, EVP aboard, you know, in the area of and down under the ocean uh, with uh, Titanic. So these things do happen. Professionals, uh, professional divers say they have never heard anything like this before underwater. Uh, so this is like a, uh, this is a pretty good indicator that these things do happen and, uh, that there are these underwater, uh, phenomena that occur. Um, I'll just keep that off, but here's the wreck. We'll do that. Anyway, uh, I would like to find more, uh, you know, any video we can or audio of underwater EVP if I can find it. But um, it's kind of hard when you don't, uh, if you don't get the EVPs yourself, you're not sure if you're getting really good, uh, clean evidence. So uh, we'll see what we can find. I want to kind of follow up on this because EVP underwater, it's got to, somebody's got to have done this work. Anyway, look at this ship. It's ripped to pieces. And they just become these reefs. I have seen, uh, I have been in Hawaii and dove with these before, those turtles. Unfortunately for me, my parents were above me looking down where I was diving, and I had uh, 12 to 15 foot uh, tiger sharks swimming under me that I did not know about because I couldn't see them because the clouds made the water dark and I had sharks that they could see, but I couldn't. And, uh, the tour boat I was on, uh, knew about the problem and did not, and they were just out to make money. They didn't care. And we were swimming with giant tiger sharks. That happened to be in the early nineties. My parents were pretty freaked out. I flew out to Hawaii with them and, uh, spent Christmas. (laughs) And my father talked me into going on this expedition. And here I was with all these sharks. Um, yeah, uh, it's not an experience I want to repeat. Anyway, we're going to go ahead and uh, start winding it down. Uh, Debbie, thank you for, uh, doing what you always do. You do a wonderful job on the show. Um, uh, next week, I'm kind of not sure where we'll go with the show. Um, I'm still, uh, dealing with, uh, scheduling stuff for getting, uh, guests on. Uh, we do have Alexander Holzer who, who agreed to be on, um, yeah, thank you, my dear. And Rooster Jerky, uh, if you're still listening, you sleep well, Ryan. Uh, Mike, um, I think we will do we will do some uh, talking about the Edmund Fitzgerald in a very uh, a show upcoming. Anyway, uh, two hours we've done we've done pretty good for two hours. We kind of got through it all. Um, I just yeah, I'm I still am amazed at all the strange things that happened with Titanic. And uh, uh, I've been studying this for probably a year now. 
going back and forth, looking at all the evidence. And I'm trying to present it in kind of the best middle of the road viewpoint possible. Although I've stated my, my, uh, my views that I believe a lot of this stuff is actually, uh, you know, factual and it has, you know, good evidence to support it, but you have to decide for yourself, you know, and, you know, the question with, uh, the show CSI, uh, where, uh, yeah, uh, was Grissom. Yeah, that's his name. The uh, CSI, the lead investigator, Grissom. Uh, he always says the one thing, follow the evidence. You know, the evidence won't lead you wrong. And uh, it may lie to you in the beginning, but it will always tell the truth in the end. And I think that's kind of where this goes. So we will see how that goes. So anyway, we've got a few more minutes. I'm going to, I'll take it to, We'll take it all the way to, to uh, 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock here. Actually, my clock is slightly off. Let me look at that. Yeah, we got six more minutes till uh, till the, the uh, hour turns. I'm trying to think of a show we can do that something unique. Oh. Uh, I love the idea of that Edmund Fitzgerald thing. I mean, Debbie, you found the one ghost sighting. I think we could probably scare up some more. I like the idea of another ship show. Hey, Mike. Yeah, thank you. You Did, did you learn quite a bit that you didn't know about Titanic from this? Because, I mean, I've really done the research on this. this it's been something I've really paid attention to uh, with regard to all these strange things. So, yeah, yeah. Give me a, give me a thumbs up. Yes, you learned or thumbs down. More to get, More to do. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, I'm, um, it just amazes me what human beings will do to each other in the name of power. Okay. You good. You did. If you said no, I would have went, well, I'll just do another show. <laughs> See, I pulled you in. I was like casting out there, man. But, uh, it is interesting what the things that people will do for power and money and influence, and uh, they almost always end up in things like this. They're just tragic for everybody involved. Uh, nothing good comes of this kind of stuff. So I, it just, um, it's now this just story that um, I look at it and there are all these spirits that are still around reminding us of what happened to them. And they're not going away. Um, they're not earthbound for the most part from what I can tell, but... They come back and visit, and uh, that's something I'm paying attention to in my book. We're talking about uh, visitations from spirits that have fully crossed over and uh, EVPs from them and things like that. Uh, but these spirits of Titanic, they're very special people. Um, there's also a club I didn't mention uh, of the people who were the Just Mystic Club. A lot of people didn't have never heard of this. The Just Mystic Club is the people who missed Titanic uh, or canceled at the last minute and survived it. And so there was a whole special group of people who were almost Titanic victims that uh, actually formed their own groups and would chat and talk and do their thing. So this is the kind of stuff that happens with these, these things. I think it's interesting. Anyway, uh, we're going to go ahead and wind it down. Uh, we got a couple minutes left. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking seriously about doing an Edmund Fitzgerald show either next week or the week after. Um, 
we'll work the scheduling. I'll see if I can get a guest on uh, for next week, and we'll figure it out. So just take it from there. Uh, I'm kind of play it. We're playing it by ear right now because getting guests with all this strangeness going on out there in the world, it's um, it's proving to be interesting. Anyway, but I, I definitely have people lined up, and we're we're getting there. But getting the dates to line up is always the fun part. Anyway, we're going to go ahead and wind it down. I'm going to uh, bring the music up. And uh, here we go. Now I can do it. going to hit the right controls. Anyway, we're going to go ahead and uh, wind it down tonight. Thank you guys for tuning in. Yeah, kind of a long-winded show, but I had a lot of fun just sitting here, just, just reading stories and just enjoying sharing stuff I know about learning things together with you that's what we do here uh we will definitely be back next week same bat time same bat channel you've been listening to soul stream uh we are going to close it down and see you guys on the flip side you take care and uh if you've got great stories for us you know where to go facebook slash facebook.com slash soulstreamradio.com leave us a message we'd like to hear from you you guys take care good night everybody we're signing off Go the little alien guys and my astronaut friend. Night, everybody.